Man, let's, uh, let's, let me pray for us, and then we will dive into Luke chapter 1 together. Father, thank you for the way that you gift your body with voices and with talents and with abilities that we might lay them all at the feet of Christ, that we might sing and make a new song with our voices, that we might use our hands and our minds in a way that brings you glory and honor. Thank you for redeeming us and redeeming our hearts and redeeming our members, that those members that we can so easily use for iniquity, that through your spirit and through the gospel, we can lay them at your feet and use them to bring you glory and you honor. And it is pleasing in your sight. Thank you for that. We pray that through the reading of your word and through the preaching of your word and through the listening to your word, that you would redeem this time now for your sake. Amen. We're in Luke chapter one, and we're going to start in verse uh, 26, and I'll read it through verse 56. And just to sort of give you a, a picture of where, where we are, uh, the angel Gabriel has visited uh, once. He's visited Zechariah in the earlier chap chapter of chapter one, and he's made a promise to Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth will have a son, and that son will be John the Baptist. And we're in the section, second part of Luke chapter one, where now that same angel, six months later, he shows up in Mary's house. And so you get this interaction between uh, Mary and this angel, and then you get this interaction between Mary and Elizabeth, and you get right there in verse 46, or 56 is what we call the Magnificat, and that is Mary's response to sort of everything that's been happening to her. Um, so I just want to kind of lay that out. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And he was sent to a virgin who was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favorite one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And in those days, Mary arose and went with haste in the, into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leaped. And Elizabeth was then filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment to what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who was mighty has done great things for me. And he and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. And he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months and then she returned to her home. Amen. I want us to lock in on one idea this morning and it is the transformation that we see in Mary. If you notice the sermon title, it is From Fear to Faith and that is exactly sort of what you see in the text. You, you see this in this text that she literally uh, is changing right before our eyes. And so I think our temptation is to sort of look at this idea that, that when the angel shows up, she's not pregnant, she's not married, and she's not, you know, with child. And then by the time that you finish the text in verse 56, it's three months. Three months have passed and now she's pregnant. I mean, at three months you're showing, right? At three months you feel pregnant. And so that, that's a physical change that's happening. But I think Luke is drawing us into another change that's happening. It's not just what's happening to her body. It's not just what's happening in her body. It's also a change that's happening in her heart. That this Mary, who we see right there at the beginning, when this angel shows up in her home, she is greatly troubled. Look at it right there in verse 29. She was greatly troubled when this angel said this to her. So that's it right there. She's troubled. She's bewildered. She's afraid. But then look at what she, what she writes, what she sings right there beginning in verse 46. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, who is my savior. And so right there, you sort of go from this fear and bewilderment to by the time you end the section that we're looking at, she is actually believing. She is actually trusting. It is personal. This is her soul that magnifies the Lord. It is her spirit who rejoices in God. And, and of course, her son is her savior. She's gone from fear to faith, from bewilderment to belief. Now, notice what Mary says in verse 48, for example. If you don't think that focusing in on faith is something that we should sort of look at in this passage, take passage, look, look at verse 48, for example. 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. So right there, un underline for me, because I think it, it's easy to read that. And, and, and if anyone could say the Lord's name is great because he has done great things through me, she could say that. She really could say that. I mean, Jesus is going to borrow her uterus, right? He is going to be inside of her and be birthed by her. So if anyone on the planet could say that, look at what God did through me, she could say it. But that is not what she says. She says, look at what God has done for me. You see the difference? One says that I'm in on this, that I'm somehow contributing. The other posture, which is her posture, says, wait a minute. He's done all of this. He is overshadowing me. He is doing this for me. 
Look at another text. Look at what Elizabeth says in verse 45. When, when, when Mary burst into her house, notice what Elizabeth says about her. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from her Lord. So right there, when Mary bursts up into Elizabeth's door, the first thing she says to her, you're blessed, but it's not because of the baby. You're blessed because you believed in the word of God. You are believing in who this child that you are carrying is. In other words, her faith is being commended. Though she is the earthly mother of Christ, she does not get a pass on having to believe in the son that she is birthing. She's not immune from having to travel the same journey that any person who comes to a saving faith of Christ, she has to travel that. God is seeing to it that the one who will birth his son will also be the one who will believe in his son. That she's broken just like us. She's in need of a savior just like us, that, that the angel shows to her and gives her grace in the same way that we would receive grace. There is nothing in her that is deserving of this. And yet what John, what Luke does is sort of lay out this journey that this woman who starts out afraid ends up believing and trusting that you cannot get to this Magnificat at the end without traveling through the fears and without traveling through the doubts and without traveling through the uncertainties. In other words, they go together. You cannot understand the praises that she is singing about this son and about her God without dealing first with she wasn't always there. She had to be brought alone. She had to be brought alone by God Almighty to truly trust that he was up to something far better than she could have imagined for her life. And so I say this to you this morning that we've looked at the incarnation over the past three weeks. In the first week we looked at Genesis, I wanted to, us to approach this season with longing. It's appropriate to enter into this season with longing. Last week we looked at wonder. That when Isaiah paints this picture of this king, it is to, to cause us to wonder. He's giving us an unprecedented king with unprecedented power who's creating this unprecedented world. And we're supposed to take that in and say, you know what? I've not seen or heard anything like that. This is wonderful, literally. But here's the thing. I think what Luke is sort of pushing on us this morning is that God isn't just trying to wonder you. He is not just sort of dangling out a carrot saying, hey, long for this. The incarnation is also for faith. It's for you and I to make that heart transfer where we actually trust and believe and rest in God's provision for us in Christ. Lord forbid that we wonder and that we dream about what life could be like. And yet we're not moved to actually trust in the one who's bringing these things into existence. And it is possible. Trust me, it is possible to wonder and to not trust. It is possible to have longings and to not find those longings fulfilled. Uh, it is possible to be awestruck by something and yet not move to the degree that we surrender. One example. So about two years ago, we went on family vacation. And we, at that time, we were working with RUF and we had a, a core group meeting. So we had about 40 of our students 
from Jackson State over. And right after that, we were going to leave and go out of town. And so we had uh, two students stay at our house over the two weeks. And so before the students got there, we turned the thermostat down to 65 because it was just so many students. We wanted to make sure that we could have our meeting and not be sweating. It's in the middle of the summer. So we turned the air down to 65. And then we left and went on vacation like that night. But we came back and our air had been on 65 for two weeks in the middle of the summer. And, and these students were in our home with sweatshirts on. <laughs> And so I walk in the house and like they got they got covers on them on the couch and like fully dressed. And I'm just like, I was angry at myself, first of all, for leaving the air on 65. I was angry when I got the, the bill. It was like six hundred and seventy two dollars. I remember it. I, I remember it. Like I, I was angry at I was angry at them. And and finally, I said, you know, what? it won't happen again. And so I, I got this little technology called the Nest. And I wanted to have like a programmable thermostat that I could kind of control from my phone. So it took that. It took that one time. I mean, I could have bought two nests for the price of that one bill. And so I got it. I got it. And I was blown away, man. I can be in New York and turn my air off. I can watch my usage. And so this piece of technology, man, it was beautiful. It, it caused wonder. Now, here's the thing. I was out at lunch with Paul Rankin yesterday. And I got an alert on my phone that said, we detect smoke. And so when I got the Nest thermostat, I also got the Nest um, smoke detector, right? And so all of a sudden, this thing that, that has given me wonder, like I'm at eating lunch with Paul and I get a, a, a text from my phone saying that we detect smoke. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know what? My wife and kids are out of town. They left. They did not cook yesterday morning. So I did not cook this morning. There is nothing on in the house. I don't have a crock pot on. I didn't have to iron. And so I'm sitting there eating with Paul, going through all of my mental checklists, like, nope, 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 nope. And finally, I get another text saying, hey, it's smoke in your house. And so me and Paul pack up and we run home and there's smoke in my house. My dog <laughs> broke through the doggy gate and there was a pan of brownies on the stove and he reaches up there to get the brownies and he pulls the brownies onto the ground and he turns the eye on and there's a pot on the stove that has some food from the last night still in it and it's like, it's charred. And so I walk in the house and Paul is picking up the trash because the dog did that and then he pulled out all the trash. I mean, he just ran crazy in the house. And I was kind of in that moment where I was going through everything in my mind. No, 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 I did not turn anything on. I did not cook. There is nothing plugged up. There is no fire. This thing that brought me wonder was telling me there is something wrong in your house. And yet I literally like had to leave and go. I had to trust that this thing is working correctly. I had to trust that this thing is more wise than me. I had to trust that this is the truth. This is what's really happening. That's my point is that you can be we can be caught up in wonder. And yet, had I stayed there and not trusted this thing, I would probably not have a house. Right. Luke is saying the same thing. It's one thing to wonder. It's one thing to be mesmerized by the incarnation story. But unless you are moved to trusting in the one that's being birthed. 
it is all for nothing, at least as it relates to you, right? Not, 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 as, it, not as it relates to Jesus. He's still enthroned. He is still the Messiah. But as it relates to you, unless there is a transfer of trust and faith, then it is as if this didn't happen. What our passage shows us this morning is that God is in the business of bringing those who are fearful to faith. That's his goal. He wants Mary to trust in him, to trust in the son that she is birthing. And not just the miraculous thing surrounding his birth. No, you have to actually trust in the one that you are birthing. That's where Luke is moving. Now, the moment we talk about faith, like I know that that is slippery. I know it's hard. You talk to some people, faith is something you can have and you can lose. You talk to some people, you just need to conjure it up yourself and have enough faith. You talk to other people. I mean, just when you talk about faith, like there's a whole lot of stuff out there. And I don't want to get into all of it, right? But I do want to do a few things. One, I want to say that fear is a part of it. I also want to say that doubts are a part of it. And I also want to say that God in his goodness, he accommodates our fears and he accommodates our doubts and he brings us to a place where we'll trust him. And so I want to look at sort of the fear that's in the passage. I want to look at the doubts that are in this passage. But she makes a bold statement. She says, I am a servant of the Lord. I trust you. Let it be to me according to your word. You see right there? Like, let it be to me according to your word. She gets to a place where she trusts. She trusts what the Lord is saying. Look, let's look at fear. Now, now why is... Fear a part of faith. I think fear is a part of it because when faith comes a knocking, it is like an invasion. It is an invasion. And you see it literally in the text that it is an understatement to say that Mary is afraid when the angel Gabriel shows up in her home out of nowhere. I mean, the arrival of anyone in your house, unannounced, unexpected, that in and of itself is enough to cause you some type of fear. But here you have, I don't know what he looks like. All I know, I know this. I know when Zachariah saw him as a man, as a priest in the temple, he saw the same angel. He was afraid. I know that when John sees an angel in Revelation, he is afraid and he falls down to worship the angel. And the angel says, you know what? That's not a good idea. You got to get up. You only worship him, not me. So there is something about these angelic beings that when you encounter them, that they are so somewhat, I don't know what it looks like, but they're so much like God, not in a sense of his essence, but they are in his presence. They are with him. They, they are beholding him, that, that when they show up, they are so otherworldly that it strikes fear in the heart of people. And that's what's happening. This angel shows up, and though he says, you're favored, you're favored, she can't get over this fact that, wait a minute, like, you're in my house. Like, she's, she's, she's terrified. And so this angel is invading her life. And here's what we believe. We believe that an angel only does God's will, that they are God's messengers, that they represent God. And so it's fair to say that the angel is interrupting or invading her life, I mean, her home, but it's ultimately God. God is invading her home. That's in and of itself enough to make me afraid. 
But here's the thing. He is not just invading her home. He is invading her life. If you look at this text, notice the you will and you will and this will. No, this, he's not negotiating with her. I mean, he basically shows up. Look, look, at, look at it. I mean, I highlighted you will, and it's all through the text. Look at what it says. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son. What if she wanted a daughter? What if she wasn't ready to have a child? She wasn't ready to have a child, and you shall call his name Jesus. What if she didn't want to call his name Jesus? And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. When you look at the text, this is not negotiable. Like, this is like God Almighty invading her life, invading her world. I know you have plans to get married to this guy and then to have kids, but guess what? You're going to walk around here and they're going to call you a baby mama. I know you have plans to do this the right way. You don't want to have kids until you're married. But guess what? Your son will be taunted. They will ask him, well, who is your father? They will actually taunt Jesus in John's chapter. I think it's John chapter 8, I think. Is that right? I think it's right. But here's the point. The Lord isn't asking her, you want a girl for your first child? Do you want to wait until you get married to have a child? Do you want to call him? Like, like this is non-negotiable. This is an invasion. And therefore, since is it a sovereign invasion of God into her life, you know what God is changing? He is changing everything she thought her life would be. He is literally saying, I'm taking over now. And I know you thought this and wanted this and desired this, but I have a plan that is so much different and is so much better. But here's the thing. That's where it's terrifying. Because we're built to think that we're in control. We're built to have our own family planning. We're built to sort of chart out life on our own terms. And all of a sudden, you mean to tell me someone is intervening and you're messing with me and messing with my life. That's why it's faith, like trusting in this person, trusting in this God to do his will. It's fearful. And you know what? This is the norm. When God called Abraham, he says, get up and follow me. When Jesus called the disciples, they're fishing, they're doing tax collecting. He didn't ask him, do you want to follow me? It's like, get up now and follow me. When Saul is persecuting the church, the Lord does not ask him, are you ready to be my apostle? No. He says, you will be my apostle and you will suffer. That on one hand, that when you look at how God moves and how God works, he is always breaking in and invading the lives of people, saying, I'm driving now. And that's where it's appropriate to be afraid. It's appropriate to wonder. It's appropriate to not know. Ask any Christian in this room. Your life now does not look like you thought it would look before you met Jesus. And I know that. Like, I know what I was doing. I know who I was like, and I know what I was like. In a million years, you would have never placed me right here preaching a Bible. I don't have control over my life. 
that one of the hardest things about leaving my job was how will I provide, but everything was geared around me and my plan, and I went to school for this, and I want this, and all of a sudden, God says, nope, we're doing things my way. That is, that is scary, right? And so if you're in the fight of faith and fear is present, I just want to say that, hey, that's a part of it. It's okay. The second thing we see sort of in Mary's, you see it in the same verse. It was not only in verse 29, it was not only that she was greatly troubled at the saying, but look at that next phrase. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And that word right there that she's trying to discern, she's literally having this dialogue with herself. And so it, 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 when you think about a dialogue, you tend to think about two opposing people coming together to talk and to reason. And what, what the way this is written is you don't get two opposing people. You get one person, Mary, who's having two opposing views. On the one hand, she's favored, but on the other hand, she doesn't deserve it. On the one hand, the Lord is with you, but like, man, you're changing my life. On the one hand, I mean, you see what's happening? That she is torn between this whole idea of what he is promising and who he's promising it to. In other words, this God is sort of working in a way that is countercultural to what she's accustomed to. In her day, it was why it was good to be a man. In her day, it was good to be in power. In her day, it was good to have resources. And here you have God going to two improbable people in two improbable places and flipping everything around. That you notice in the text, it says the angel left God and then went to the city in Galilee called Nazareth. That's the same Nazareth that two of Jesus' disciples, they were kind of reasoning with one another. Come, come see the man that Moses and the prophets and the law have talked about, Jesus of Nazareth. And Philip and Nathaniel says, wait a minute, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, these are his disciples. So when you hear Nazareth in this text, don't think Jerusalem. Don't think Jackson. Don't think Memphis. Think like Pickens. No offense to Pickens, right? <laughs> or think like Raymond or think, you know, Edwards. I mean, you know, the, the, the cities that are far out, far out. You mean to tell me that's where Jesus goes? Look at what it says when, when Mary, when the angel leaves, it says that she, she leaves in haste and goes into the hill country in Judah. Wait a minute. They don't even have a town name. Like she goes to the hill country in Judah. Like my wife is from Akron, Alabama, and you will have never been there. And you will not see it if you're driving from here through Alabama. You will not stumble upon Akron. You have to be going to Akron to get to Akron. And this is where Elizabeth is. This is where the Holy Spirit has been moving, not in Jerusalem. That, that, that this angel shows up to Mary, who is probably 13 to 16 at the time. He shows up to Elizabeth, who is well advanced, old, who is barren, that he's going to the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm going to the oldest of the old who cannot have children, and I'm going to the youngest of the youngest. I'm going to podunk over here and podunk over here. Like, this is where God is moving, and you're telling me I'm favored? This doesn't add up because in our world, the logic of the world says this. You go to powerful people. You show your strength 
in strength that you go to Jerusalem. And here it is, this angel is kind of, I mean, it is mind-blowing that he is going to improbable people and improbable places. And so much of Mary's Magnificat, it's about that very issue. Notice what she says. Look at verse 48. He who is mighty has looked on the humble, the humblest state of his servant. Look at verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Look at verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Look at verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. That whole song is about this, this dynamic that's playing out in her mind that is confusing her. How is it that the Lord of heaven and earth is in Nazareth? How is it that you show me grace? There are so many other people. So here's what this means. She's perplexed. She can't put her mind around how and why God is doing this. It, it is blowing her mind. And yet this is the norm. God seems to be screaming that I am defying human logic. And if we're going to be on this path of faith, then the, one of the milestones that we had better cross is unworthiness. We ought to feel like this. Every one of us who professes faith in Jesus Christ ought to at some point in our lives. Why me? Why me? I mean, the moment we try to put and push up in front of God these things and these accolades, it is our intelligence, it is our wealth, it is our choice, it is our affluence. I mean, the moment that we try to push anything in front of God and say, this is why you're here, what Mary says is no. He slaps it off the table and he says it's nothing. And this is baffling because it flies in the face of how the world works. But in our journey of faith, we ought to cross this path. It's what Isaac Watts says in one of his songs. While all of our hearts and all of our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? I mean, he's writing in that song, that hymn that we sing, that it is grace and grace is profound and it is perplexing. It is dumbfounding and it is confusing, but it is real. And what I love about this, the next thing we see is that God brings her out. God himself will not just leave her in this place of fear. He will not just leave her in this place of doubt that he actually brings her to a place in verse 38 where she actually says, behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You see it again in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And so you get two public confessions there where she is affirming trust, where she is affirming uh, submission. Now, here's the question. How do you get from fear and doubt to faith right here, what happens? And if you'll notice, notice where it happens. Notice when those two confessions happen, they always happen after a word from God. That when, it is when the angel unpacks this promise that she starts to believe. And it is when she goes to Elizabeth's home and she does no talking when she gets in the door. Elizabeth does all the talking and it is after Elizabeth talks that she then that we then get the Magnificat. In other words, God is committed to strengthening faith and he will do it himself through this angel by by leading her into this mystery. But then he's also going to do it through another person who's had a similar experience, that those are the two ways that God is bringing this woman to actually believing in this child that she will be born. And so the first thing you see it right there is in the dialogue with, with the angel. Yes, God has been invasive. Yes, he has kind of deboed her life. Yes, he has kind of done all of this stuff, right? But here's the thing. He also talks with her. He also tells her what he's up to. Look at what he says in verse 35. How will this happen since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So right there, now she doesn't completely know what's happening, but she knows enough. I mean, God himself is bringing her into the mystery. And what the angel is saying is this, this will not be your own doing. This will be the work of the Lord. The Messiah will be put in your body and the Holy Spirit will overcome you and overshadow you. This will be the sovereign work of God to bring God's son into the world. He will overshadow you. And just in case you don't believe this, go check out your relative, Elizabeth. She was barren seven months ago and now she's six months pregnant with child. She was called barren. She is now old in age. And then some of the most beautiful words that I think we get in the scriptures, look at right there. It says, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. And our tendency is to read this and kind of think that, that the angel is saying that the virgin birth is not impossible, you know, with God or that what we're doing to Elizabeth is not impossible. The angel says nothing. He says, name one thing, name one thing under all of heaven that is too hard for God. It's nothing. He's not losing sweat over if this plan will work. He's not worried if the son will get here and be protected in his deity. He's not worried about, he's not worried if you're going to miscarriage. He's not worried if somebody's going to kill him when, you, when he's born. He is not worried about a thing because he does not, he is not bound by power. He is not bound by limits. He is not bound by strength. There is not one thing that your father in heaven cannot do. Therefore, Mary, be encouraged. 
She doesn't know the mystery of the incarnation. I mean, when you look at Mary throughout the Gospels, she's kind of teeter-tottering, right? Like on one day, she's calling him Jesus. Can you turn this water into wine? And he does it. The, ne the next day, she's summoning him home. And he has to say, well, wait a minute. My, my father and my brothers and my sisters are those who do the will of God. Like all throughout her life, she is teeter-tottering. Are you the Messiah? Is this real? And then she gets these windows into, yes, you, you have birthed the Son of God. But here's the thing. That wavering does not discount what you see right here. She doesn't know how it's going to work out. She might not know that the way he's going to be exalted is through death. It's going to hurt when her son dies. But here's the thing. She may not know the intricacies of this, what's happening. She may not know the future, but you know who she knows? She knows her God. And she knows that nothing is impossible with her God. And so her ultimate trust is in the word of God, the promises of God. And there and there alone is she staking her faith right there. You see what God is doing? He's engaging her. He's telling her. He's leading her in so that she will believe. And then notice what happens. As soon as the angel leaves, like it's, it's kind of funny. Look at, look at verse 38. And the angel departed. Now go to 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste. So, it, it, I mean, he's saying as soon as the angel left, she left. Now go down to verse 56. We're not talking about a weekend trip. She moved in for at least three months. I mean, she went there and moved in two pregnant ladies in the house with one man who is mute. He can't talk. I mean, can you imagine? Like the one place she goes when, she, when the angel leaves her is there. She travels 100 miles into the home of a relative to live. Now, why there? That's the only other person on the planet that can remotely relate to what, what, what she's going through. It's the only other person in the planet that has physical evidence of an angel working and making something out of nothing and hearing these promises about this child that he, she's going to have and that you're going to have. She goes to the only other person on the planet who can remotely relate to what she's going through. And she stays there, probably until John the Baptist is born. It is when she gets in the house that John the Baptist, in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth, she leaps for joy because the Holy Spirit who impregnated Mary is the Holy Spirit who comes upon Elizabeth, is the Holy Spirit who is stirring John the Baptist. And so what's happening there is God Almighty, God Almighty is behind this, that he is, he is affirming her faith and affirming what is happening by his Holy Spirit through another person who's had the same encounter. Now, why? Why, why? why these two things? Why the word of God and why the people of God? Because, beloved, that's how God strengthens faith. It's through his word. And it's through his people reminding us of his word. It's through his word. And through people reminding us of his word. And that's important. In our fears and in our doubts, we don't run away from the word. We don't run away from the book. And we don't run away from God's people. 
that someone who has never had an encounter with the living God, someone who has never tasted the grace of God, it's going to be hard for us to be strengthened there. Her refuge is in God and her refuge is in God's people. Period. And so here's my longing for us during this season. That as much as we celebrate and as much as we wonder and as much as we long for, that we would also trust that we would be believing in Christ during this season. And not generically and superficially, but like literally and seriously. That we would see that beyond the, the incarnation, that behind the mystery of that, that Christ has come for faith, that we might believe and trust. And that if our faith is weak, that we would find ourselves with God's people. Sitting across the table on Christmas Day having one of your church members remind you of God's love for you in Christ. Lord forbid us to wonder, Lord forbid us to long, and it doesn't move us to trust and to believe and to rest. That's my prayer, that we would see that God invades our lives and our worlds he graciously engages the improbable and unlikely people. He brings them to faith in his own son, whose kingdom will reign and extend forever. I want us to believe that. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would strengthen faith. Lord, I know that many of us have doubts about the faith. I know many of us have questions about the faith. But our faith is strong enough where you can engage us. And you do. You bring us along. I do pray that we would be making much of Christ, his arrival. That we would be able to say with Mary that my soul rejoices in my God and in my Savior. Build us up, I pray, for Christ's sake. Amen.